Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Get used to the mantra, all gas, no break. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, joined today by Austin Gale of PFF, uh, PFF underscore Austin Gale on Twitter. Got a great content. How you doing today, Austin? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, no problem. I think we're going to, you know, we have a good show in, you know, in store for you guys. We're going to go over some drafts some free agency and talk a little bit about the Jets two cornerstones on both sides of the ball, Mekhi Beckton and Quinn Williams. So I um, want to start you off nice and easy free agency wise. How do you think the Jets have performed so far? You know, Lawson and, and Davis being the biggest signings and, and then a lot of depth moves. Um, so where, how do you see the Jets doing so far? No, I'm a big fan of what they've done. I think adding Corey Davis at the figure they did, I think he ranks outside the top 20 in APY average salary per year among receivers. I think that's an awesome figure. And you're getting Corey Davis after a career year. I thought you'd see him sign for a bigger dollar figure. He goes to the New York Jets to whether he's working with Sam Darnold or they do draft a quarterback at number two overall. I think adding Corey Davis for the amount of money they spent was an absolute slam dunk for them. And then you see the Carl Lawson, I mean, Cincinnati Bengals are paying $15 million a year for Trey Hendrickson, who I wouldn't even argue is top 20, top 15 at his position to get that, to get Carl Lawson, who I believe is a better player, more productive pass rusher at that same figure. Fantastic move for the New York Jets. These are not the moves of old for the New York Jets. This isn't signing CJ Mosley to a record setting deal. This isn't signing Le'Veon Bell to a ton of money in the offseason. These are legitimately roster improving moves at, and they're not breaking the bank to do it. Like adding Carl Lawson and Corey Davis, those two signings were two of my favorites. And I also don't hate what they did bringing in Gerard Davis. Like Gerard Davis, former first-round pick. I think it's an incentive-laden deal worth up to $7 million in his, you know, the, on that one-year contract. And Robert Sala wants to get a ton of talent at the linebacker position. Adding athleticism like Gerard Davis brings to the table, I think is big for them. I think they've done a lot to get better without breaking the bank to do so. And that's exactly what you want to do in free agency. Yeah, it's something that I think has been pretty interesting, too, is just a different approach. I think um, we saw a lot in the draft last year with guys like Becton, uh, Mims, that are high upside, uh, potentially low floor guys, but very high upside and taking a chance on just letting talent take over. And then you look at um, in free agency, like you mentioned, a drive Davis, former first round pick, might have been in the wrong scheme in Detroit, maybe not coached properly, thinking Salah can get him to bring, you know, bring the best out. And I've been a little down on the signing, but um, looking back now, kind of, three or four days removed. I actually like it a little bit more, especially they're very weak at outside linebacker and a four, three outside linebacker position. So um, I like Davis a lot. I love Carl Lawson. I think pressures wise, um, his win rate and pass rush has been is awesome. And he quite frankly, only having five and a half sacks was 
it's kind of weird to think that you could be fourth in the NFL pressures and, you know, have middle of the road average kind of um, sack numbers, but that's why you got to kind of dive deeper into how I these mean, guys perform. And, and that speaks to just how bad that Bengals defensive line was like to get sacks. It's very difficult to rack up sacks as an individual player as the only talented pass rusher. That's very hard to do. But when you're working, say, T.J. Watt, for example, that defensive line was stacked. I mean, Cameron Hayward, Bud Dupree, obviously Carl Lawson. Like, that's that's the move, man. I think, I mean, not Carl Lawson, sorry, T.J. Watt. I think when you have a Pittsburgh Steelers defensive line like that, it's easier to rack up sacks. It's why Leonard Floyd had so many sacks as he did with the Los Angeles Rams, because you're, you're with Michael Brockers and Aaron Donald, two of the better defensive tackles in the NFL. Obviously, Aaron Donald in a different tier to Michael Brockers. Another signing I wanted to bring up is, Dude, you're not going to find a bigger fan of Sheldon Rankins than me. I am a big fan of the former first rounder out of Louisville. He's a really good high upside pass rusher. that's just battled injuries, like full stop battled injuries in his career. But when healthy, you can go back on my Twitter timeline. I've tweeted a lot about Sheldon Rankins. I really do think he's a good pass rusher to have alongside Quentin Williams. And then Carl Lawson, Quentin Williams, um, obviously um, Sheldon Rankins. And then you look in the secondary, Ashton Davis in year two a PFF favorite Bryce Hall in year two. I, I think the Jets are doing a lot of really good things. And I'd be, I'd be surprised if they weren't one of the most improved teams in 2021. I mean, that's going to be Jets fans are going to enjoy hearing that some positivity. I, I also wanted to like, you know, talk through a little bit of those guys, because I think Sheldon Rankins is somebody that people, um, I even initially saw the dollar figure. And sometimes it's really difficult when you see these numbers come out. Um, I always have to pause too and go, okay, wait a second, these are NFL contracts. First of all, none of these numbers matter. What is he, what's his cap hit? How much is guaranteed? That's, that's what really matters. And yeah, it's two years 17, but even if he gets paid that full amount, if he's 2018, Sheldon Rankins, eight and a half sacks, full disruptor on the top, you know, I, I thought he was probably a top 10 D tackle, um, if, if not better in 2018. Well, now you got a bargain and the Jets have now got you know, potentially multiple pro bowlers in the defensive line. And these aren't guys that are just, um, you know, your average, oh, they'll get five, six sacks. I mean, Quinn's gotten better each year, and we'll talk a little bit more about him just because I think his ceiling is incredibly high. But, you know, all these guys in a 4-3-2, something the Jets have not played since, I think, 2005, like last year, um, last year, Herm Edwards. So it'll be interesting to see how those guys translate. Um, I was just curious on how you – kind of felt about the Jets not being so aggressive either at guard um, or corner as a whole. I feel like those are positions that they're really, really weak at. Um, and I was a little surprised to not see them be even a little bit more aggressive in the secondary market so far. Yeah, I mean, I think that is interesting because you do have a lot of youth there. In addition to not having a ton of talent at face value, you do have a ton of youth. I do like the Jamar LaMarcus Joyner signing. I think some people hated on that signing. But to sign a player that signed for $22 million guaranteed just a few years ago for the Las Vegas Raiders at the price point they got him at is a steal. Like LaMarcus Joyner was, quite frankly, played out of position in Las Vegas. They moved him to slot corner despite having way more success at free safety with the Los Angeles Rams the year prior to signing with Vegas. So bringing him in to play safety, not slot corner, safety in that Jets defense, I think is going to be is going to be awesome to see. Like, I, again, you keep go, looking at some of these moves, Sheldon Rankins, Marcus Joyner, and even Ger Gerard Davis. Like, these are low-tier signings from a spend perspective, but all positive moves, steps in the right direction. I do think that to get on this corner market, I think it would have been tough. You would have liked to see them maybe make a push for a Dory Jackson, who has signed a pretty decent deal with the New York Giants. Or interior offensive line, there wasn't a ton of talent in this free agency class at interior offensive line. You're going to have to either break the bank for Joe Tooney, as the Kansas City Chiefs did, break the bank for Corey Lindsey, as the Los Angeles Chargers did, 
or get after Brandon Scherf, who obviously signed the franchise tag with the Washington football team. I don't think it was the right market to go get like starting caliber into your offensive lineman. I think this is a better draft for interior offensive linemen. You can add guys that can start for your football team on day two, top of day two, top of day three even. I think there's enough talented interior offensive line prospects to come in and start. And I think it's a, it's a good opportunity to talk about positional valuation because the closer you get on the interior, um, athleticism doesn't matter as much. You don't need rare athletes at guard and center to have good productive starters in the NFL. And Rare athletes go high in the draft. Regardless of position, guys that are rare athletes go high in the draft. You can go and get productive starters in, the ra- in round three and round four along the interior offensive line. I think it's a smart move by the Jets to maybe avoid that and look to fill it with some youth in the draft. You know, it's always a perfect transition. And, um, you know, some of the other pro day today, Elijah Vera Tucker, um, I'm a diehard USC guy, as everyone, you know, hears me talk about all the time. And I think he's an absolute stud. And if, I don't think he's getting the 23. Um, but I was just kind of curious, we'll hit the quarterback after it's, uh, it's just a brutal topic to talk about every time, but, um, from that guard perspective, who are some of your favorite guards? Uh, maybe the Jets look at it 34, maybe they look at, um, you know, early round three and four, who are some of those guys that you like? I know Creed Humphrey's a guy that people really like Wyatt Davis. Are those some of the guys you like, or are there others that you're more interested in? Yeah, I think it's cool that you brought up Elijah Vera Tucker. I think he, uh, I think he came in what thirty-two and a half inch arms, something around those lines. I think you're going to end up kicking him inside the guard. You know, I think a lot of people said he played well at tackle. Why not keep him at tackle? I think the the big Why number there is the arm. Pro guard. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. It's okay to be good. Exactly. And honestly, I mean, what's great about Elijah Vera Tucker is he can play tackle in a pinch. You know, you can you can play him at tackle. He can be a swing offensive lineman that plays different positions. Where do you want him to be his best? Guard. I think he comes in and is an all-pro guard very early in his career, very steady, consistent player. I don't love, from a positional value perspective, taking Elijah Vera Tucker at 23. If he's available, maybe you do it just purely from a throw positional value at the window and take the best player available. Elijah Vera Tucker could be your guy. But when you see that, you know, Corey Lindsley is the highest paid center in the NFL and he's making $12.5 million. Like Trey Henderson, not top 15, not top 20 is his position. Is making $15 million per year. Like that, again, it comes back to the market is not valuing. The NFL market, regardless of what your interpretation of positional value is on the football field, the market, from a, from a market perspective, does not value center, box safety. I mean, John Johnson is arguably the best safety on the market and is not going to make more than $11 million per year for the Cleveland Browns. Like that, 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 that's insane. You know, it's like the market is not – if John Johnson, as good as he is, at safety – is only going to make $11 million a year. It shows that the market in the NFL right now just doesn't value certain positions over edge, defensive interior. You saw Leonard Williams. I mean, he, only Aaron Donald's making more than him along the defensive line, which is pretty insane to see. Um, but interior offensive lineman I like, you have to bring up Quinn Miners, Wisconsin Whitewater kid that I think ultimately goes either in the second or third round. Ben Cleveland, guard out of Georgia, I think is an option on day two. Creed Humphrey, you talk about him. He's not like this absurd athlete that maybe a Kendrick Green is of Illinois or even Quinn Miners, but he's a dude, man, that has had a ton of success playing center and uh, at Oklahoma. And I think he could also play guard. I think he will struggle a bit against, you know, the Tyler Shelvin, Bobby Brown types, these guys that are 330, 340 pound monsters, but come in and can play at a starting level very early and probably won't be off the board until late round two, round three. Like that's how good this interior offensive line class is. And honestly, how well you can spend resources. If you can get a starter like, uh, Deontay Brown, Cornbread out of Alabama, Kendrick Green out of Illinois, or Quinn Miners in round three or round four. That's where I'm 
you know, I'd rather have one of those players in round three, round four, than maybe take Elijah Vera Tucker in the first round and then fill a position of need like corner or wide receiver or wherever have you later in the draft. You know, that, that's like incredibly fair. And I think something that's going to, obviously the quarterback's going to make or break where the Joe Douglas builds, you know, his resume even further. And I think he's done some good things and, you know, getting two, again, we always talk about this, but getting two ones and a three and a starter for a guy that we just mentioned, John Johnson, who I think is the best, you know, box safety in the NFL. And there's another guy who used to play in green that's won $20 million a year and, you know, and that, that type of stuff. So, um, I do think that him being able to build out this offensive line and that be his, you know, back then it's a great start. Um, but there is, you know, some holes, especially, I don't know if he, I don't think McGovern's bad at center. I just think that he needs good guards next to him to really emphasize how good he could be. Um, you mentioned a guy, you know, a position cornerback. A couple of guys have had pro days the last couple of days that I really like. I have JC Horn as my favorite corner in the draft. Um, Maybe I'm just stubborn that I think if he was at Alabama, he'd be, you know, people talk about him a little bit more and they're going to start to based on the way he ran sub 4-4, uh, broad jumped 11 plus. Sertana had a great pro day at Alabama. Caleb Farley's medicals um, is going to be a question. And I know you've talked about this and a lot of guys have. It's going to be team by team basis and if they're willing to risk it. But I think he's a great player. Do you think that's a position at 23A? Do those guys fall? Um, and B, do you think it's something the Jets should heavily target at 23? Yeah, absolutely. If Patrick Sertan or J.C. Horn, after their pro days, are available at 23, you sprint the card in. I don't think Patrick Sertan is on the board after Dallas, honestly. I think Dallas is going to lock into Sertan at 10 if he's still available. And then J.C. Horn, Arizona feels like a fit for me. Who He could go at 16. I think the Raiders would be smart at 17, even though they won't do it because they've already invested it in the corner or whatever. I do think that... 23 would be crazy to see those two guys go. Caleb Farley, again, team-by-team basis, back surgery, didn't play in 2020, hasn't played the position for a long time either. People forget he was like a wide receiver in high school. Like, those are enough concerns to where he starts to get into the Rondo Moore territory, where Rondo Moore, freaky athlete, dynamic, has all this stuff. He hasn't, seen, he hasn't played a lot of football, and there's some, and there's some injury concerns, grade one hamstrings and back-to-back seasons for Rondo Moore. So I think Caleb Farley could fall even to day two, which would be crazy. I mean, he's been a top 10, top 15 player, you know, entire mock draft season, but the back surgeries are a real thing. Like that is, that is going to be difficult to overcome. This guy has not played football in a long time. He's battling injuries and has not played the cornerback position, even when healthy all that long. I do think corner could be an option for them where I see the Jets maybe more likely going and kind of give you a preview of what, uh, my mock draft from on Mondays coming out is I could see them go Greg Newsom, cornerback in Northwestern, who if you don't have Greg Newsom in your top five corners right now, I think you're making a mistake. This guy's got crazy length, crazy speed, and has a lot had a lot of success at Northwestern and fits a lot of what the Jets want to do. You know, the Jets, I don't think are going to play a ton of man coverage with Robert Soliday. They're going to play a lot of zone, keep their guys off and click and close. Oh my goodness. There are a handful of reps on Greg Newsom's tape where he's in off coverage and he does things that Sertan can't do that J.C. Horn can't do. I mean, those guys are press man, physical corners. Newsom, not so much. But if you're going to play a lot of zone, a lot of off-coverage stuff like Salah's going to do, Newsom could be their guy. And I think at 23, that's a ton of value. Yeah, and there's a lot, I think there's a lot of talented corners. Even like you mentioned, there's day two, day three guys I like. Um, but, yeah, no, I think corner and guard are two positions of need. But, again, guys that you're going to find – I think this draft has a ton of both. Um, we'll get to the – I'm so over this question, but we're going to do it anyways because everyone likes to talk about it. Um, I know PFF's been, you know, all over the place with Sam in terms of like 
the way Sam's career has been, honestly, is it's all over the place. It's one good week. Wow, you look great. And Sam's a top five quarterback this week. And the next week, it was, that was the worst game I've ever seen. So, um, A, quickly, how do you feel about Sam personally? And then B, um, are you a Wilson or a Fields guy? Um, you know, more broader, which more realistic at two for the Jets. Yeah, I mean, for Sam Darnold, I think inconsistency has been his biggest issue. Like, you've seen the flashes. The problem has been they've been so inconsistent, and it comes back to, like, why? You know, you saw that at, you saw that at USC. Like, Sam Darnold had games where you were blown away with what he could do. And then he also had games where, like, what is going on? Like, you don't know what was going on. I think – and those are the worst quarterbacks, man, because when you have a quarterback that's con- in, consistently inconsistent – you have guys like Dan Orlovsky, who I love as an analyst, but we'll say like Sam Darnold's still the best quarterback to come out of that class because he knows the flashes are there. Like it's there. If you can get it out of them, you can do it. And I was talking to Bucky Brooks of NFL media. And I, he said something that really resonated with me. It's like scouts talk about all the time. You grade the flashes in a player. And it's your job as a coaching staff and as a front office to remove the low end from his game. I think that's why you value Sam Darnold highly. Because the flashes are absolutely insane. Arm talent, out of structure, all this cool stuff. But the problem is, is just no one, and specifically Adam Gase, has been able to get just the flashes out of Sam Darnold. Or I guess fewer of the negatives out of Sam Darnold. If Salah and you know that coaching staff is confident they can get more of the flashes and less of the negative, maybe they trade back out of two and let another team come up that wants to go get an upgrade at the quarterback position. But I'm adamant that they should stay put, take Zach Wilson of BYU, you're splitting hairs a little bit between Zach Wilson and Justin Fields. It depends what you want to do in a lot of ways. Both are really good uh, quarterback prospects. I think Zach Wilson gets the edge for me purely from an arm talent perspective. I think he's just got the better arm. He's going to be a better vertical thrower in the NFL purely off of he can make all the throws. You know, that's become a little bit of a cliche in the NFL, but for good reason. Patrick Mahomes can make all the throws. Aaron Rodgers can make all the throws. Josh Allen can make all the throws. Could he be accurate with all of them? Not to start. But as we saw with Josh Allen, that developed. I think that's a bit of an outlier situation in terms of improving from an action perspective. But what's not an outlier is having a good arm in college and it's still being a good arm in the NFL. You know, I talked to Daniel Jeremiah, I think it was at the Senior Bowl in 2020, and, and he said, you know, he was one of the first guys to have Mekhi Becton as a top five, top ten player in the 2020 NFL draft in his mock. And I asked him why, you know, what, you know what's going on with Mekhi Becton? We weren't super high on Becton. He said, you know, coaches will tell me all the time, Mekhi Becton could show up have the worst day of practice in his life. You know, he could allow like six sacks, four pressures, all this stuff. But the next day, I'll tell you what, he's going to wake up six foot eight, 320 pounds, one of the best athletes in the NFL. And that's what I want. That's what I can bank on. You know, I can bank on this athlete still being big and being coachable in the NFL. What I can't bank on is guys developing in you know, arm talent overnight. Like Kai Beckton waking up four inches taller. Like that's just not going to happen. I think coaches, front offices, scouts, evaluators all think like that. They all, and that's why traits and measurables and athleticism goes high in the draft. I mean, it's why um, Rashawn Gary went as high as he did. It's why Henry Ruggs went as high as he did. It's like, if you are an athlete with rare athletic ability, you're going to go high in the draft. Yeah, no, it's funny just to, um, you know, I, like I've, I defend Sam all the time, but I'm, I'm also, I try to be as realistic as I can that, it's probably not going to be in, in New York. I think it'd be really cool if that you know they could make it work, and it'd be a pretty cool story, you know, football wise, to be able to be like almost cast off and then come back and make it work. And I think Sam's talent is off the charts. Some people kind of soured on it because you got used to the last couple of years, but it's weird how his like first half of the season every year is kind of, eh, 
if not bad. And then all of a sudden the end of the year, he always plays much better. And it's like, he grades out really high at a lot of times. And it's like, what is like, what's going on? But it's more to the point, like you're mentioning. And, um, you know, the contract is a real thing. Um, I get, you know, the roster is not great yet and they have to build around it and having a rookie contract is huge. And, um, you know, all those types of things. I kind of lean, I go back and forth to Wilson and Fields. It's really tough for me because sometimes I'm like, well, Justin Fields has got elite athleticism, but, and he has a strong arm and all this stuff. And he was really effective in the stat lines. Like it was almost borderline unrealistic. It was like annoying 2020 is stat line or, you know, like last year is stat line in the Clemson game. But then there's also these games where you're like, eh, I don't know. And like, there is the Ohio state quarterback thing. And, you know, and as a USC fan, there was probably a USC quarterback thing at this point. And it's a real thing. And it's kind of, you know, whatever, but um, if the jets, you know, let's say they add the rookie quarterback and they have a good draft. Um, I, this is impossible to predict for now, but like, do you see them being able to be a team that's like, Oh, we could, I know you kind of mentioned this before we could shock some people and we're, you know, we're seven wins, but we're not, you know, we're missing the playoffs obviously and stuff like that. Or do you think they could actually like this quarterback change could really make that big of a difference in their record in 2021? I mean, I think it could. I definitely think their, their record could be pretty decently improved. I like what they've done adding players I think the coaching staff change can't be understated like that's going to matter a lot we've seen you know what Adam Gase has been able to do with this roster and what he's been able to do from a roster building perspective because I know he had his hand in a lot of the decisions they made like bringing on Frank Gore and giving him as many carries as he's in signing Le'Veon Bell signing CJ Mosley like he had his hand in a lot of those decisions and now you've seen a completely different regime change and and obviously Joe Douglas is still there and he's been there but I don't think Joe Douglas had the reins like he does now and I think now you're seeing Douglas do what he wants to do with the roster and Salah is going to do what he wants to do with the players he's receiving. I think that's going to be very interesting to see. I think they're going to be, again, one of the most improved teams if they do draft a quarterback at number two overall. I'd be very nervous. And I, I think this is part of the Sam Darnold conversation I didn't bring up. Sam Darnold probably can be fixed. There are coaches, there are offenses that can make a better Sam Darnold than what we've seen. I just don't want to be the team that fixes him. I don't want to be the team that spends time fixing him when one, there's this chance that it doesn't work. And I spend this year trying to fix a quarterback that maybe doesn't have the success is never going to be as successful as I think he can be. Or two, I fix some and we win nine, 10 games with Sam Darrell and I got to pay him $30 million a year. Like that again, comes back to, it's like, can I win with Sam Darnold on a rookie contract? If I get the flashes out of him? Yes. Can I win with Sam Darnold and improve Sam Darnold on a second contract? Hard to say, like it gets that much harder. You know, we don't, I don't got to tell the Rams what it's like to pay a second contract to a quarterback. That's not that great. I don't got to tell the Eagles that I don't have to tell the Raiders that like, I don't have to tell the Vikings that like giving a quarterback a second contract or that third contract where you're paying him 15, $20 million plus a year makes it so much harder to build a legitimate competitive roster. And it's why the Buffalo bills have had the success they have. It's why obviously the chiefs had the success before obviously signing Aaron, uh, Patrick Holmes to that monster deal. But look what, Look at that. The Chiefs just cut two starting tackles and they have like very big needs along the offensive line. They have needs on defense. And that's with paying Frank Clark the money they did. Chris Jones the money they did. They're lucky they hit on the Jarius need. They're lucky that Charvarius Ward has played above expectation. Like this has been a very, I mean, they were starting Dan Sorensen out there for a while. I mean, this is not a good Chiefs roster. Like if you took Patrick Mahomes from the conversation, it's a bottom 10 roster in the NFL. And it's going to be very difficult to build up that roster now that they are not hamstrung, but stuck to back from homes on a contract. So you factor that in with not as good of a quarterback like Sam Darnold. 
it's an interesting conversation. I think I don't want to be the team that fixes Sam Darnold, but I do think he is fixable. Yeah, no, that's, and that's honestly totally fair. And I think it's funny that even though the chiefs, like Kelsey took, if you look at what John Smith just got paid, Hunter Henry's got paid, Kelsey's underpaid, right? Like if you really Absolutely. <laughs> his value to them and, you know, tra- like it just, it's interesting, even these guys taking smaller deals and people used to talk about this with Brady all the time in new England, you know, he was taking almost such a pay cut, and I hate giving Tom Brady credit for anything because, as much as I know he's the goat and I, all that stuff, but it's annoying to listen to. Um, he took such a reduction that, and they were hitting on, they were paying so many internal guys because they hit on all these draft picks and the Seymours and the Will, Will Forks and Logan Mankins, all these guys. But it does, it's difficult. It's difficult to be consistent winners. This isn't, you know, baseball where you can have someone locked up for nine years and, you know, it's the same core group. So um, I was just kind of curious from the NAFC's perspective. I know you mentioned some of the smart money, actually, for once the Jets are spending. It looks like um, guys, you know, above, below the age of 27, a shorter term, uh, you know, deals. The Patriots have spent a ton. The Dolphins spent a ton two years ago and now already have got moved on from some of those guys. Um, how did you did you like what the AFC East has done? I feel like it's a competitive division, but at the same time, still feel like Buffalo is the team to beat, and it's not really quite close yet. I mean, I like what the Buffalo Bills did. I think they what signed Micah Hyde to a contract extension, brought back Daryl Williams, brought back John John Feliciano, brought in um, the wide receiver. I'm losing. Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah, yeah, Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders like they, five, I think. Yeah, a ton of a ton of smart money in Buffalo. And you want to look at a team that has done a very good job around building a young quarterback. Oh, my God. The Buffalo Bills have done it. I mean, they took a quarterback that a lot of people, PFF included in some ways, were writing off, you know, being inaccurate. Yeah, he's got the big arm. Yeah, he's athletic. They bring in Dable. They add John Brown. They add Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley. People forget that the number one receiver – for the Buffalo Bills, when Josh Allen went there, was Kelvin Benjamin. And calling Kelvin Benjamin a receiver even is a little bit aggressive. Like, the offensive line was bad. The defense was bad. They didn't have the right coaching staff in place. Like, this was not good. And then they go in and just completely rehaul, retool that roster because you can, because you have a quarterback on a rookie contract, and it pays off. And I think the Buffalo Bills are the team to beat in the AFC East. And I like what, I like what the Patriots did, if and only if. They go up and make a play for a quarterback in this year's draft because right now they spent over $135 million guaranteed this offseason, the second most we've ever seen in an offseason from an NFL team to get better. And I think they're the most improved team this offseason on paper. John Smith, Hunter Henry, re signing Dietrich Wise, Devon Godchow. I mean, uh, they've done a lot and they've done a lot to get better. They paid a lot to get better but you don't have the quarterback of the future on this roster. At least you're not paying Cam Newton like he is. And you don't want to be in the position where Cam Newton comes in plays really well. Say the Patriots go AFC championship somehow. And then you got to pay Cam Newton, what, $20 million a year to continue to start for your team. How are you going to do that with all the money they have, you know, tied up in Nelson Aguilar and these guys, that's going to be very difficult. What they need is a rookie quarterback. And I think if you trade up from 15, say you move on from Stefan Gilmore, a second round pick, and obviously the 15th overall pick, you could probably get up to four with the Atlanta Falcons, go grab a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields, whichever one the Jets don't take at number two. And then, it doesn't matter that you spend all this money. You got you got the cheat code. You have the, the rookie quarterback on a rookie contract with the fifth year option in the first round. And when they improve, when Cam Newton improves and say, or, you know, when they win more than the games they won this year and they're picking 18, 20, 22, it's going to be so much harder to trade up next year. And it's very unlikely that next year's quarterback class is anywhere near as good as this year's quarterback class. This is rare. Four quarterbacks likely to go in the top six is rare. And I think the Patriots would be smart to move up. And as for um, 
I'm thinking of what's the third team here? The Miley Dolphins. I do think they're in an awkward spot. They're in that position where adding Will Fuller, I think, was a good deal. I think defensively, Brian Flores has done a masterful job working on that defensive side of the ball. You know, Byron Jones is a great signing. Uh, I love the Noah Benogany pick. Xavier Howard's obviously a stud. Pass rush can improve, but I think they can get better in the draft. They still have a ton of draft capital to get better. I think they should trade down from three if they're not going to upgrade over to a tongue by low, if they don't want Fields or Lance. And with that trade down, add as many pieces as you can because this roster needs to get cheaper. Like you said, a year ago, the Miami Dolphins spent a ton of money to go eight and eight. You know, I think they need to get cheaper, trade down, add some rookie contracts, add some top talented players, hope that offensive line develops, Robert Hunt, Solomon Kinley, Austin Jackson. You need those guys to get better. And I think if they do that, this Miami Dolphins team, again, got to be competitive. If Tua even takes a small step forward, this team's going to be a lot more competitive in 2021. Yeah, there's like a lot. There's a lot in the AFC East. I think it all comes down to the quarterback play. I think Josh Allen, again, hate to admit this, I think he's pretty much the class of the division at this point. Obviously, the Jets are totally up in the air. We have no idea we're going to get either from a rookie or um, year four, Sam, obviously looking more like it's going to be Wilson um, at this point. But I'm, I've been really down on Tua for like two years. Even in college, I was just like, for whatever reason, I just didn't love him coming out. And I mentioned this I mentioned this to Mike Clay, um, you know, a couple pods ago. I was just like, I was a huge Herbert guy because I'm a Pac, I like watching the Pac-12 and Herbert's traits, like you mentioned earlier, something that I think a lot of scouts love. It's like this huge arm, big kid, athletic. Um, so that's why for Miami, I don't really know what to do because I feel like you're to us not good this year you're kind of in that really weird spot where you spent a ton of money and now the rookie contract like you're in a bad spot but then if two is good you're in a great spot like you just mentioned now you have a yeah. good roster a great coach in a division you know there's seven playoff teams you're gonna be seven playoff teams and all that stuff so you yeah, know it's super interesting i just i think trey lance ends up in new england i think it's a home run for them he's not cam yeah. but he's a similar player ish just from the you know big dude who can run he's got a huge arm cam obviously has no I, mean, I i think i have i have a counter argument i have a counter argument to um the miami dolphins being in a bad spot to it doesn't play well it's a it's not a great spot i mean losing games and having a bad quarterback is not a great spot but it's not a bad spot a bad spot is where the jets are where they don't know if sam darnold's good you know because they haven't done anything to build around him they've had a they've had a bad coach they've done nothing to build around him and now they're sitting here in year four like is he good i don't know that's the worst spot to be in. The yeah, second, I guess. Uh, you a, make a, a good worst, point. You make a good point. A worse, a worse spot than that somehow is when you pay that buddy to because you don't know if he's good. Like Jared Goff, like uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, like Derek Carr, like Carson Wentz. When you pay that guy, that's the worst spot in the NFL. That's where you start completely retooling your roster. You have to cut guys, and that's the worst spot. The second worst spot is where the Jets are, where you you have a rookie quarterback on a rookie contract, and you fail. You fail to build around him to a point where you could be confident that he's good. Look where the Giants are. They add, obviously, Kenny Galladay to a monster deal, Adoree Jackson to a big deal. They're going to they added Andrew Thomas last year. They are trying to desperately find out the million-dollar question, is our rookie quarterback good or our quarterback on a rookie deal good? Miami Dolphins should do the same. Trade down, add to the offense. They added Will Fuller. Continue to do that because what the number one question for those teams when you have a quarterback on a rookie contract, is he good? If we put an all-star offense around him, can he exceed expectations? Can he take us deep in the postseason? Bills found out yes. I think the Jets have failed to find out anything. Now we get to see if the Giants can find that out, if the uh, Dolphins can find that out. I think the Browns found it out. Browns bring in OBJ, Jarvis Landry. They add on the defensive side of the ball. They bring in a new coach in Kevin Stefanski, Austin Hooper. They're like, hey, if Baker Mayfield in this offense, can he do it? He did. 
beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in round one on the road. You, you found what can win with Baker Mayfield, and you know the value brings to your team now. And I think that's, again, what the Dolphins need to do, the Giants need to do next year for the Jets. They're in that limbo area where they don't really know what they want to do. Yeah, no, it's like a, it's the old cliche of, like, being in, you know, in basketball, the Jets are kind of that team that, yeah, they have the number two overall pick, and the best player on the board's a center, and they have a really good center. They're not sure, but they also have – you know, they're in that, they're not a playoff, they're not a title team, but they're going to get bounced in round one match. So, you know, I, I actually, I, I like that point. That makes a lot of sense. And um, a couple of quick things we'll here. I want you to give me one person on the spot, an NFL draft prospect you really love. And then there might not even be a reason why you really love him. And it doesn't have to be a, you know, a top five, top 10 guy. It could be a day three guy. You just like, you watch this film and you're like, I don't know why, but this guy's going to be, this guy's going to be awesome to watch on Sundays. I think that my guy for that one is going to be Aline McNeil of NC State, you know, former running back and linebacker in high school who I think is from Raleigh, North Carolina, goes to NC State, had offers from Bama, a bunch of big schools. But he goes to NC State, dominant nose tackle type, a guy that can actually have pass rushing upside and good run defense early on. And a guy that you're probably going to be able to get second or third round. And again, when I look at drafting on day two and day three, I start to look at those positions I spoke to earlier about lower value positions like box safety, off-ball linebacker, interior offensive line, interior defensive line, specifically run stuffing nose tackles, because that's where I know I can get some value. I can get a starter at nose tackle, top of day three, late day two, and like Tyler Shelvin, Bobby Brown of Oklahoma. Like you can go, or Texas A&M, excuse me. Like you can go get starters at certain positions, whether if they're low value, it's, it's not as extreme as like, I can go get a starting punter in the sixth round. Like it's not that extreme, but you get to that level where it's like, I can go get, if I can go get Kendrick green of Illinois, a starting caliber offensive lineman that has a lot of upside, a lot of explosiveness in the third or fourth round, that's what I'm going to spend my third and fourth round picks on. What I'm going to spend my first round picks on is where I can't get that value receiver, quarterback, offensive tackle, pass rusher. I'll tell you right now, Guys like Jason Owe of Penn State, Jalen Phillips of Miami, Gregory Rousseau of Miami, those guys don't last till day two. I'm sorry. They're too athletic. They're too freaky. They're too rare. And they too play too valuable of position to do that. So go get valuable positions early. And then on the later rounds, get your Lee McNeil. Get your Tyler Shelvin. Go get Creed Humphrey of Oklahoma and make some plays uh, at those lower value positions. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I was put out a thing before of just like ranking some of the corners I have and some of the receivers. And everyone's like, oh, like, you know, do you think these guys last till 23? I'm like, there's going to be a run on those corners before there's a run on the receivers just because teams are desperate to get guys that can cover, and there's just not as many of them in the NFL as there are the guys that you can plug and play and get 50 for 750 and five touchdowns. So, um, It's also because corner is such an athleticism-dependent position. Like you, uh, Chris Ballard says this in the, the, the GM of the Indianapolis Colts. You are consistently playing catch-up on defense. Because the offense dictates the play when it's, you know, the snap count, they dictate everything. You're playing catch up. The only way to catch up is to be a little bit faster, a little bit stronger, a little bit more athletic, a little bit more change of direction. That's why he looks for length, athleticism, speed all across the board because our guys are playing catch up. Our guys don't know the play. We need to be a little bit faster than the other side of the ball. And I think that's why J.C. Horn's going to go higher than people think. Patrick Sertan and Caleb Farley, the injuries are, are an interesting note. Maybe he falls because of that, but still – you get a rare athlete at corner or even like, you know, edge, those types of positions, like corner and edge, I think are those two big positions. They're going to go early in the draft. And just to, to wrap up here, the two guys, two-part question. Are Mekhi Becton and Quinn Williams as good as 
Jets fans want them to be? And B, how much better the like, where do they need to really, you think, improve to take that next step where Becton's a potential Pro Bowler? Quinn Williams can be take a step from a, oh, he should get Pro Bowl consideration. Like, this guy's a stud. And like, everyone knows it because the roster was terrible. They were two and 14. You kind of jump to, oh, we're, you cling to those guys. Um, are they that good? And B, where do they need to get better in year three and two, respectively? Yeah, I'll start with Quinn Williams. I don't know if Quinn Williams is as good as Jets fans think, but he is very good. I, I would say the answer is yes to both. I don't think I think Jets fans. I mean, fandom is a thing, you know. Like I think Jets fans obviously think Quinn Williams and Mackay Beckton are here. Well, in reality, they're probably a tier below. I think every team's favorite players are like that, but I do think Quinn Williams is still very, very good. Well worth. I mean, we just talked about Sam Darnold, and he's one of my favorite. <laughs> probably five tiers below what I think he is. So. Exactly, exactly. So I do think Quentin Williams, man, what he needs desperately is help. I mean, that defensive line is bad, and it's been bad for a while. Edge has been a need for the Jets for like since Calvin Pace, dude. Like it's been that bad for the Jets for a long time. And I think he needs help. He can't be consistently double teamed. He needs to be able to turn it on, work on those one on ones, play like a legit three tech, and win. And I think Sheldon Rankins coming in, Carl Lawson coming in, that. It's going to make the defensive line better, but it's also going to make Quinn and Williams a lot better as well. Like you can't, unless you're Aaron Donald, which I'll tell you right now, no one is. It's very difficult to have success along the defensive line without help. And I think you, TJ Watt would say that. Khalil Mack would say that. All the best guys would say that. And I think for Mekhi Becton, I, I am a little bit interested in the injuries. Because, I mean, when you got big dogs like that, we've seen it with Trent Brown. When you got some monsters, those guys can battle injuries all the time. And it's not, it's not, no, it's not a knock on it's a knocked on physics you know it's just being that big and being that athletic it's very difficult to stay healthy so I do think that the Jets need to make a legitimate investment in trying to find ways to keep him on the football field it's going to be easier said than done the dude's a monster for a reason but I think when healthy Mekhi Becton is better than what maybe what Jets fans think that's how good Mekhi Becton can be I think the problem for him is going to be staying healthy not just to be on the football field but also to be 100% you because know, you're going to be times where, you know, I think the Jets were forcing him onto the football field where he wasn't 100%. You know, you saw reports like that, like, man, like that is dangerous. You don't want to be doing that with, uh, with big boys like Mekhi Becton. So if he can say 100% and when he's on the field, be 100%, Mekhi Becton's like legit what Jets fans think he could be. He's a Pro Bowl, all pro type of tackle. The problem will be keeping him healthy. You know, it's interesting because I kind of feel the same about both guys. Um my biggest fear and it's like people thought I was like hating on like Zion and basketball Aaron Judge like it's not that I'm hating on these guys it's that they're not they don't make any sense from a science perspective like you're not supposed to be that tall and that large from weight perspective and move that fast and fast twitch muscles so yeah you know, I just want to make sure from a Jets perspective Mekhi Becton's what 360 375 and he's 22 21 once he even gets a little bit more grown man weight like I don't think he should be playing at 405 maybe I'm wrong and he could do it but that's where you start to get injuries so I agree with you there and I think some of the stuff in the past walking game Miles Garrett had a little bit of a, had a field day and Cleveland Farrell got him a couple of times which yeah it that was a good game for Cleveland Farrell yeah that was, was impressive that only good game ever but um <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know but then from Quinn Williams I, I tend to agree as well I think he needs help I think going back to a 4-3 and going to be able to play a three tech shade and be good and go back to where he was at at Bama and kind of flashed a lot, I think will be helpful. Um, those are just two guys. Last guy I was just curious about, I think he's a kind of a confusing one for Jets fans is Ashton Davis. Um, mm -hmm. I think he's a, another, he's like a freak athlete. I mean, you're not 110 meter hurdle champion in the Pac-12. You're, you know, not a freak athlete, 
Um, but his eyes last year felt like they were like where he was lost. Um, do you think that's more Greg Williams or he's just going to develop year two and, and should take a big jump? I wouldn't put the blame on Greg Williams, even though he's an easy scapegoat for a lot of people. I do think that uh, Ashley Davis, the problem is, I mean, talking about a guy that needed an offseason in the NFL, you know, needed a preseason. I, you're going into a new defense, playing a very risky position, playing safety. If you miss things, you miss things with your eyes, you're going to get beat. I was talking to um, our Darius Washington today, the TCU safety, and said one of the biggest things is your eyes. Like if you, if you fall for things at safety, it's over. It's a touchdown. It's, it's, you can't get, you can't afford to be lost at safety. You're lost at defensive tackle. It's going to be okay. You know, you, someone else can make the play. You're lost at safety. It's a touchdown. It's something over the top of your head. So I do think a full off season for Ashton Davis will be big. He also was not super healthy this off season. I remember talking to him at the senior bowl and those things like he needs to get healthy and he needs a full preseason in the playbook at every single practice to really take that year two development because he has the tools again. The reason he went in the second round wasn't because of his instincts and those things. It was because he's a freak. You know, he's a, he's a really fast, straight line runner that I think if he can develop and, and, and bury himself in the playbook and stay healthy, Ashton Davis is going to take a leap. Bryce Hall is the opposite. Bryce Hall doesn't need it. You know, he's got the instincts for days. This guy has been consistently outperforming his athletic ability since, you know, year one at Virginia. That's how good Bryce Hall is as a football player. What Bryce Hall needs to get better is he needs to get stronger, needs to get faster, needs to cut weight, needs to find ways to get – to catch up, to use Chris Ballard's, you know, uh, corner phrase there. It's like, you have, you have to catch up. Bryce Hall has to catch up somewhere. And I think getting better in an NFL weight room with your teammates, all that stuff. I think that's where uh, Bryce Hall needs to get better. You know, I, again, I know we've been kind of agreeing most of the time here. I do. I do agree. I think Bryce Hall is somebody that that's a, that's probably the Jets best value play last year. Just being at, you know, the ankle injury was a real thing, but to get him in the fifth round like that, he was a guy that I thought probably went, either one day one or day two, if he doesn't get hurt. Um, you know, we talked about value at the position. He's a guy that's very, was valuable skill set and tangible was. I, I'm interested to see how he develops. Um, thought he showed a lot of flashes. The Rams game was a lot of fun. It was good to watch him. Was, that pick was insane. The pick, was, was, the pick was awesome. And it's like, you don't, the Jets just haven't made big plays for a long time now. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. Press all too, like you will not find, you speak to intangibles. Of all the interviews I did last year, man, that was an impressive one. And I talked to Ashton Davis. I talked to Jalen Johnson, a handful of other defensive backs. Like C.J. Henderson, whew, Bryce Hall is a, is a dude. And you talked to a lot of teammates there, too. The biggest prop with that bowl game, him not playing in that bowl game was, like, brutal for these guys, man. Everyone loved Bryce Hall. And I think that, again, I, Mike, Mike makes fun of me because I care about the interviews and care about the character a ton on the podcast. But, like, that matters to me. You know, when, it, when the entire team – props you up like they did Bryce Hall when when they feel your loss on the football field you know I think it's very similar I mean not not from a positional value perspective but it's very similar to when you saw Dak Prescott get hurt in addition to being very good there was there every single person talked about his his character and his leadership and what it meant to be in the locker room I mean that's the type of character you're getting with Bryce Hall and you need those guys you need those guys that rally a locker room I mean it's a it's a culture sport it's a team sport so I definitely think Bryce Hall is one of those guys you know, it's, it's interesting. The same injury happened to uh, Allen on the Washington football team two weeks later. And it was like, eh, yeah, it's a really unfortunate he got hurt. Meanwhile, Dak, like it was like somebody died on the field. But um, I, I, my legs exploded before playing football, too. So I, I'm, I get it. But, you know, I think there's a lot of really great content at PFF. And I'm not just saying that because Austin's here. I, I think it's a lot of really good stuff from even if you're just a casual fan and wants to kind of understand more of, Hey, like, I, I don't understand why this guy's so highly regarded or 
I thought this guy's great. Why don't they have him graded this high? It, it'll be interesting to be able to go in and um, listen to Austin, be able to, you know, follow him on Twitter. Like I mentioned, you go to the site. There's a lot of great content and, you know, mock drafts, free agency, trades, you name it. Um, there, there's a lot of great content. We can, we really appreciate you joining us, uh, joining us today. Of course, man. I appreciate you having me on. I definitely think uh, – definitely check out PFF.com during the season, in the offseason. We're going to be doing a ton of draft content there at PFF.com and um, so forth, man. We're, we're really excited about this year. It's going to be – it's going to be finally hopefully some normalcy here in, with COVID-19 and vaccines kind of getting rolled out. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Hopefully get some crowds going and, uh, you know, we'll go from there. We'll catch you guys. Uh, we'll catch you guys next time.